Turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 1. We're going to mainly be in chapter 2, but we'll start in chapter 1. Uh, you know, I was thinking that uh, before we jump into the Word of God, that uh, there's someone else not here this morning, and that's my wife. And I realize I, I want to tell you why she's not here. So uh, our daughter and son-in-law, Jen and Jordan, have adopted two children. One is, uh, Asher is almost five, and Justice has just turned four. Both of them children from uh, high-risk moms who are uh, drug addicts. And so they got both of them at birth. Well, Justice's mom became pregnant again, and they asked if they would want to, to adopt Justice's sibling. And they were like, yes, we absolutely do. And so I'm really uh, excited to share that this little baby, I don't know that we're able to give the name yet because they still have the process, but is it on Facebook? Okay. Aliyah is the name of this little baby girl. It was a name that Jen, God gave Jen before we even knew if it was a boy or girl. She, Aliyah was born on Wednesday, which was, is Jennifer's birthday. So, uh, but she was born because of the drugs um, she was born at, I think, four pounds, 10 ounces. And so she is in NICU. She's on a ventilator uh, or a tube. Um, she's probably going to be there for a couple weeks. She needs a little minor surgery on her mouth when her lungs get strong enough. So Janice flew down to Florida last night to watch the boys while Jen and Jordan are in NICU for the next couple weeks. So excited, but please pray with us that the Lord will just bless this sweet little girl and help her to thrive, help her lungs to grow. She's got great care. Asher was born actually even smaller, and she's in the same NICU unit that he was. He was in for a month, so, uh, and he's doing outstanding. So join me in prayer, but also rejoicing with us, because that is, uh, it is such blessed news. Thank you, guys. All right, Acts chapter 1, I want to read verse 8 again. Jesus says this, we're looking at the Holy Spirit, and uh, Jesus says this to his disciples. He says, I want you to wait in Jerusalem, for you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Jesus told his disciples to wait in Jerusalem until they received power from the Holy Spirit. Now we know that his disciples at this point in time are believers. They are Christians. They are saved. In fact, according to John chapter 20, verse 22, they've already received the Holy Spirit. And yet Jesus tells them to wait until they receive power from the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says the purpose of that power, power should always have a purpose. The purpose of the power of the Holy Spirit was to display Christ to a lost world. When, when Jesus said, be my witnesses to the ends of the earth, he's not just saying tell information, he's saying display my glory, display who I am and what I've done in power for you to do that, you need the Holy Spirit. That power comes to them. We read about it in Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Let's read the first 13 verses. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. 
And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of them in his own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own language the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. The premise of this message is this. The primary purpose of the Holy Spirit's power is to harvest souls for the kingdom of God. The primary purpose of the Holy Spirit is to harvest souls for the kingdom of God. As we looked last week, the Holy Spirit is God. He is the third person of the Trinity. Jesus said, it is better for you that I go away so that I can send the Holy Spirit to you. The Holy Spirit is, according to the Word of God, our paraclete, which means He is our comforter. He is our encourager. He is our advocate. He comes alongside of us. He resides within us. He teaches us. He brings the things of Christ and He teaches us those things. He glorifies Jesus Christ. His power accomplishes many things in the believer's life. We're going to be looking at some of those things through the weeks to come. But I want to suggest this morning that according to this Acts 1 and 2, the primary purpose of the power of the Holy Spirit has to do with leading people to faith in Jesus Christ. I say that for two reasons. First of all, Acts chapter 1, Jesus said, you will receive power from the Holy Spirit and you will be my witnesses to the end of the earth. The power was to enable them to be Jesus' witness. That's what Jesus emphasizes. You will receive power to be my witnesses. That's what Jesus emphasizes. Then Acts 2 comes along, and the second indication that the primary purpose is to harvest and lead people to Christ is found right there in Acts chapter 2 in the first verses. Verse 1 says this, when the day of Pentecost arrived. The day is significant because the word Pentecost means 50th. The Jews from the second day of Passover were commanded to count seven weeks, 49 days, seven weeks, and on the after 49 days or seven weeks, on the next 
day, the 50th day, they were to celebrate the Feast of Harvest. This was the day when they celebrated the ingathering of the, of the grains, of the harvest. So every year at Pentecost, people, Jews and proselytes would come from all around the world. It says every nation would gather to Jerusalem to celebrate. This is kind of an inverse Great Commission. Instead of going out into all the world, all the world came to them in Jerusalem. And the Holy Spirit was poured out on Pentecost in order to underline that He would empower the church to harvest souls from all over the world. Every tongue, every tribe, every nation, every people for the kingdom of God. It's always been God's heart to harvest souls. And so what a beautiful symbol that you've got people from all over. Different languages, different cultures. And there they are. And they hear the praises of God in their language. Jesus is the only way to be saved. There is no other way. There's no second escape hatch. There is no other way for a human being to enter heaven and be rescued from sin and separation from God other than Jesus Christ. There is no other name given under heaven by which mankind can be saved but the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead to rescue us from the chains of sin, cleanse us from the stains of sin, to give us new life in God, to restore us to relationship with God, and give us eternal life as a gift. It's the, Jesus is the only way, and that is the gospel. And church, that is our message. Amen? That is our message. We've got no other message. It ain't, hey, you can live a great life and you can do all those things. You know, those are part of it. But the central core is Christ. That's our message. But it takes the Holy Spirit to take that message. And, you know, we can speak it, but it takes the Holy Spirit to take that message and awaken faith in a person's heart. To open their eyes to see the glory of Christ and not just hear it as information, but taste it as how good it tastes. How filling is the bread of life. How quenching, thirst quenching is the water of life. It takes the Holy Spirit to take a dead heart and resurrect it. To take a blind eye and give it sight. It takes the Holy Spirit. So God's heart is to harvest souls for the kingdom of God. And that is the core mission of the church, which means, second point, that the power and the purpose of the Holy Spirit has a pressing on us as a church. It presses us into the harvest. I want you to think about those seven weeks or close to seven weeks the disciples spent in the upper room. They were there because Jesus said, wait. They were there because Jesus told them to. So they're in this upper room, about 120 people. That's a nice size. That's a small, manageable size. And they're up there constantly together. They are praying together. They are worshiping together. 
They're studying the Word. Every now and then, Peter would get up and he'd say, brothers, I want to bring a word to you from the Bible. And they would sit there and they would listen to the Bible taught. Can you imagine how sweet those times, those weeks, those days spent together in the upper room were? How precious they were. They knew each other so well. There was no awkwardness like, hey, uh, is this your first time here? They knew each other so well. They shared history together. They shared memories together. There was a unity that's about as perfect as you're going to get this side of eternity. What a wonderful time. Deep fellowship. And I can imagine that, you know, this was a pretty precious time for them. It sounds like a pretty great church service, doesn't it? And that was exactly where they were meant to be. But it wasn't where they were meant to stay. Suddenly, they're there on the day of Pentecost, and they begin to hear a sound like the sound of mighty rushing wind. Think of a tornado. Think of a loud freight train coming by your house. All of a sudden, there is this loud noise erupting in the house, and they see land on each of their heads tongues of fire like flames resting over the heads of every one of them. And they must have wondered, what is going on here? And then the Bible says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They already had the Holy Spirit. Jesus breathed and said, receive the Holy Spirit. But now they are filled with the Holy Spirit and they were changed. They were changed by the filling of the Holy Spirit. See, this is still a timid group. They are still, they're, they're happy to be in the upper room because they're still afraid of being arrested for naming the name of Jesus Christ. They're still a little unsure and lack confidence. And so the upper room is perfect for them. But suddenly, they're filled with boldness. Peter, who only a few weeks ago had denied he even knew Jesus to a servant girl out of fear of what the ramifications would be, now stands up in front of tens of thousands of people and he begins to boldly proclaim Jesus Christ. And he doesn't do it in a really politically correct, positive way. He says, hey, this Jesus you crucified, he is the Lord of all. He is risen from the dead. Now you come to him in faith. He's going to come with a boldness. Where did he get that? He didn't get it from spending seven weeks learning how to overcome his fears. He got it by being filled with the Holy Spirit. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now this is, this is the great news for us. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit residing in you. You don't need to wait 50 days or 50 minutes. You have the Holy Spirit living within you. You have Him, I have Him. But we can be more or less filled by the Holy Spirit. All believers have the Holy Spirit. Not all believers are equally filled, and none of us are equally filled at all times. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 5, be filled with the Holy Spirit. But in the Greek, it says, be continually being filled with the Holy Spirit. We need to constantly be being filled with the Holy Spirit because we do leak. But that filling of the Holy Spirit is available to us. 
and it changes us. When the Holy Spirit fills us, we experience, I'm not talking about mind thinking or, you know, yeah, I know. I'm talking about, I know. We experience the power of the living God. The reality of His glory that we sang about this morning. His love. His grace. His mercy. His goodness. It presses upon our hearts. The Holy Spirit is God. So when He fills us, we are filled with the fullness of God. All that God is. comes to our souls. And we experience the blessedness of God. When the Holy Spirit fills us, He fills the gaps and the crevices in our hearts with Himself. We are filled, when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we can't be filled with fear. When we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we can't be filled with anger. When we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we can't be filled with lust or bitterness. He fills the crevices, the gaps. The empty heart is filled with meaning. The lonely heart is filled with the love of Christ that passes understanding. When the Holy Spirit fills us, lesser things are pressed out of our heart. Now listen, you might be thinking, is that where you live all the time? Not even close. Not even close. So don't be thinking, well, then I must. But that is available. That is available for us. Why didn't Peter have fear anymore? Why weren't the disciples timid anymore? Because they were filled with the Spirit. No fear. They became the most courageous men and women on the face of the planet. We're not talking their personalities. We're talking the filling of the Holy Spirit. That is available to us. When the Holy Spirit fills us, lesser things are pressed out of our hearts. You know, sometimes we're always trying to figure out, how do I get rid of this? How do I get rid of this anger? How do I get rid of this thing? Well, I think the biggest answer in the Scriptures is be filled with something else. Be filled with the Spirit of God. And we are pressed outward to the harvest fields to the work that God has for us. And I believe this is what the church needs today more than anything else, a greater filling of the Holy Spirit. More than self-help books, webinars, church growth conferences, evangelistic strategies, more than better church programs. And I'm not against any of those things. I'm not talking down, talking any of those things. God can use those things. But what we need more than anything is the filling of the Holy Spirit in the church and in our lives. So they are filled with the Holy Spirit and two things happen, both connected to the harvest work. Nothing is disconnected from the work and purpose of the Spirit to harvest souls. The first thing is they all start to speak in tongues. They all start to speak in tongues. Now, we're going to be talking more about the gift of tongues when we look at the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But briefly, in the Scriptures, there are two types of tongues, both called glossolalia, but both function differently. 
One is a heavenly language known only to God. A prayer language that speaks to God. And no earth, it's not an earthly language. But that's not what's happening here. This is a speaking of languages that the disciples never learned, but are earthly languages. You've got Parthians and Arabians. You've got all these people speaking all these languages. And suddenly the disciples are able to speak fluently in languages they have never learned, and they are speaking the praises of God. Harvest purpose is so that those who are there from all the different nations hear the praises of God in their own language. Now I want to pause here. I want to be practical. And I want to ask the question, how does this overlay on our lives on a regular basis? How does this apply to our experience? Because as far as I know, what happened on Pentecost is historically very rare. It has happened. I have read accounts of people who have been given the ability to speak a language they didn't know and share the gospel with someone or praise God in front of someone who did speak that language. But it is very rare. It is very rare that that happens. This is not a common thing. If you know missionaries who have moved to foreign lands, what do they have to do? They don't just say, okay, Holy Spirit, drop it on me. They got to study for months and years that language. They got to do the painstaking work of learning the language in order to communicate with them. So this type of tongues seems extraordinarily rare and pretty far removed from our experience. But I think there's a, a more universally applicable principle here that we can grab a hold of. The Holy Spirit gave the disciples the ability to speak in foreign languages so that they could connect with those people where they are. They were literally speaking their language. They're hearing, they're connecting the gospel. Jesus always met people where they were. He went to where they were. He didn't say, okay, I'm opening up a center. Now come to me. He went where they were, where the blind man sat on the side of the road, where the person with leprosy was crying out for mercy. Where the woman whose son, only son died. She was a widow. She, then she lost her son. He went to the funeral and he said, okay, I'm here at this funeral but I'm going to raise your son. So it's not going to be a funeral for very long. He went where they were. Zacchaeus in the tree, he went where they were. And now the Spirit is meeting people where they were, speaking their language. The empowering of the Spirit in their lives was to connect with those from other nations. And the Spirit empowers us. He wants to help us to meet people where they are. Speak to people where they are. Build a relational bridge to people where they are. And this doesn't always look stupendous and, and incredibly uh, supernatural. 
Often it's just the Spirit leading us in a conversation, leading us to to talk with someone and, and, and guiding that conversation to where they are in life. I was speaking with uh, someone, I, I didn't know them, just kind of chit-chat. Uh, and, and as when you're just chit-chatting with someone you don't know, it was just surfacy, all of that. And then this person made a comment, and it caught my ear. We could have just gone on, but I, I asked about what she said. And it opened the conversation in a whole new direction. It deepened that conversation instantly. And it was not hard then to bring in a spiritual conversation about Jesus, about prayer. The Holy Spirit can enable us to hear where people are at, see where people are at, and connect with them where they are. And and that's an empowerment. And then build a bridge, a gospel bridge to them. So that's the first thing. They spoke in tongues. The second thing, that leads me to the second thing here. The disciples left the upper room to go to the crowded streets of Jerusalem. We know they left the upper room. It doesn't actually say they left the upper room, but we know they left the upper room because they were in this upper room and then all of a sudden they're in the streets and people are hearing them praise God in other languages, in their own languages. And so if the purpose of the power of the Holy Spirit is to gather the harvest, that couldn't be done from the upper room. That So the Spirit of God pressed them out of the upper room to the crowded streets below. Sometimes we think, and when I say we, I mean me, we think of the church in upper room terms. We think of it as 120 people have been gathering together to worship and fellowship, and and that's all right and good. And the disciples did that. They kept doing that. They didn't abandon that. We're commanded to meet together. But we must not forget, these four walls don't define the church. These four walls don't contain the church. And these four walls don't contain or define ministry. Far from it. The Holy Spirit presses us out of the four walls, out of the comfort place, and into the streets where people live. And that's when it gets messy, folks. See, 120 in a room, sweet times. Everybody knows each other. Everybody knows when to share, what to say. As soon as they move out, you know what happens? Guess what happens? A lot of great things, a lot of mess. A lot of mess. To paraphrase Proverbs 14, when the, ox is, when the stall is empty, man, it's clean. When there ain't no ox in the stall, it's clean. But you ain't getting any work done. You put an ox in there, you get a lot of work done. But guess what else you get? A lot of mess. That's totally paraphrased. <laughs> There's a lot of mess. Before you know it, they got conflict. They got problems brewing. They got grow. What do we do with this? They got all this mess going on. People that don't know the Lord. People believe in crazy things. We're going to see it here. They, you know, you think the tongue's a miracle. Okay, so everybody's blessed, blessed, blessed. No, some of them are saying these guys are drunk. There is no definitive. There's no denying this is God here. 
You can do, the power of God can come through you, minister, and someone can make fun of you and call you a horrible thing. And that's what they're doing. They're making fun of them. They're mocking them a little early, be hitting the, the beer, huh? So it's not like this was so definitively supernatural that everyone said, but a lot of people said, wait a minute, something's going on here. And that's when Peter stood up and preached the gospel. What does it mean? What does it mean to leave the upper room and share Jesus Christ? If the Lord's pressing us and outward, what does that look like today? in the workplace, among friends, in our neighborhoods. I, I can tell you, I, I don't really know. I really don't know. This is not my strength. I'm not like super good at this. I don't really know. And I know that it can be scary for those of us who are not really evangelistically oriented people. Like I have a hard enough time talking to people I know, much less going to someone I don't know, and then telling them about Jesus. I'm not that good at that, but I want to be better. I want to be better because the Lord calls us to that. And by the way, the highlight of this passage isn't, this is a strength of theirs that God is using. The highlight of this passage, this is a weakness of theirs and God is strengthening them. So if you're not good at this, neither am I, but this isn't about how good we are. This is about the spirit of God empowering us. There are people all around us who do not know Jesus Christ. And they may look good on the outside and look like they got life together and, and you know, their families together, their jobs together, their careers together. They are together. And on one level, maybe they are. But we know from Scripture that spiritually everybody's falling apart, apart from Christ. That sin is dragging on the heart. Separation from God, the very purpose we were created, has been broken. The relationship we all long for more than anything else and have no roots without it and no orientation without it has been broken. Our relationship with God. We are drowning in sin and we need rescuing. And that's why Jesus came. And that's where people are at. And they're all around us. They need Jesus. They don't need me and they don't need you, but they do need Jesus. And that's why Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And the Holy Spirit wants to empower us to seek and to save the lost. So the Holy Spirit wants to press us into the fields. You know, when Jesus said to his disciples, open your eyes and see the fields for they are ripe unto harvest. You know what's really cool about that? He was so excited. He said, I don't even need food. I have food you don't even know what to eat. You know why he was so excited? He'd been in the harvest field. But guess what that harvest field was? It wasn't speaking to tens of thousands. He did that sometimes. It wasn't speaking to hundreds. The thing that had him so jazzed was he spoke to one Samaritan woman. An outcast, someone the Jews hated. He spoke with her. He shared himself with her. Her eyes and heart were opened. Harvest. So harvest doesn't have to be talking to standing up like Peter and it can be one person. And that's the moment when Jesus got so excited and said, open your eyes, guys, the fields are ripe all around us. So let's, so I'm not, I'm not a, a pro at this and I'm not like, you know, yeah, this is, here's a plan for us church. Let's, this is our, you know, evangelistic strategy. 
This is what I would say. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to fill us every day. Let's ask God to give us a heart that loves people the way God loves them and sees their need for Christ. Let's ask God to, for eyes to see the opportunities and boldness to share and wisdom to build relational bridges. And then let's, let's trust God, the Holy Spirit, and look for him to be working. And let's be listening to the Spirit's voice. You read through the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit is constantly speaking to his disciples. I want to share an unusual story that happened to me years ago. This is not meant to be like, this is what every day looks like, but I do think there's some principles in this. Uh, I was living on Long Island. I would frequently go down to a parking area right near the ocean to have time with the Lord and just quiet devotion, and I'd pray. I was pastoring then, and um, one morning I went down there. I'm parking. I walk out by the water. I'm praying. I'm getting a nice time with the Lord. I get back in my car, and I go to start it, and it's dead. Nothing. I mean, not even turning over. Dead. And so I tried it again, and again, nothing. I'm like, what in the world am I going to do? While I'm sitting in the car... A woman comes walking up, walks right by the car, walks down by the water, just a few feet in front of me. And I could tell by her body language that there seemed to be a weight on her. There was just something about her that just seemed like there was this weight, like she was there. And I felt the Spirit speak to my heart and say, I want you to talk to her. I want you to tell her about me. I want you to tell her that I see her that I love her. It was such a powerful impulse. I really knew that it was the Holy Spirit. So I did what any of us would do. I ignored it. <laughs> and after a few minutes, she walked away. And I said, Lord, this seriously happened. I'm not, this isn't an evangelistic exaggeration. This seriously, I said, Lord, if I was really meant to talk to her, let this car start up. I kid you not. It just started right up. And now I know I have to talk to her. So by the time I drive, she's like blocks down the road walking. And so I'm driving by and I'm trying to think, okay, she's walking on the sidewalk. I'm driving in the road. What is a natural way for me to try to engage her in conversation? It's a little challenging. So I decide to pull, pull in front of her far enough so she doesn't see, it doesn't look too weird. And I got out of the car and I started walking on the sidewalk towards her. And I'm not a big believer in being weird for Jesus, you know, but I knew this is a weird for Jesus kind of moment, you know, as I'm walking up to her. And um, so as she walked up to me and I walked up to her, I said, excuse me. I said, I, I know this is going to sound very strange. I don't usually do this. But when I saw you down by the water, I felt God speak to my heart. And he wanted to say to you, I see you and I love you. Now, I don't know what I expected. Maybe for her to be a little surprised. Maybe even a little blessed. But what happened was not what I expected. She got upset. She got emotionally upset. She kind of turned and walked away, and she said, no, this is not happening. She said, you didn't say that. 
That did not happen. I can't believe it. She walks back to me. She says, I cannot believe that. She was upset. She was not blessed. And she began to tell me. She said, I used to take this walk every morning and I would talk to God. But a year ago, a friend of mine lost her husband. Her kids lost their dad. Young family. And what are they going to do? Why would God allow that to happen? And I have not walked this walk and I will not talk to God. I'm angry at God. This is the first day in a year that I've taken this walk again. And I said, well, listen. I said, I, I acknowledge the pain that this family was going through, I acknowledged the pain that she felt for her friends. And I was able to share with her, listen, you know, I lost my dad to leukemia when I was 19 years old. My half-brother and my half-sister were two and four years old, respectively, when he passed away. And now, years later, I can tell you, God has been faithful to all of us. It was hard. It is sad. But God was faithful to us. He never let go of us. And he will be faithful to that family. And he will be faithful to you. Was this a coincidence? Was it a coincidence that my car just wouldn't start the very moment she walked down? That it started the very moment she left? Is it a coincidence that I could share that my family went through a very similar thing and saw the faithfulness of God in the hard and suffering valley. I don't think any of this. Is it a coincidence that the first morning she takes this walk again after a year, there's a message brought to her, God sees you and loves you. She's not talking to God, but God is talking to her. The harvest is there. The Spirit of God wants to press us into the fields. He wants to speak to us. Don't just go walking around broadcasting to everybody, you know. Listen for the Spirit of God to lead you to the ripe field. And then don't worry about being eloquent. It's about sharing Jesus and then trusting the Lord. It's about connecting with them, relating to them, bringing into spiritual things when that can work. And then eventually, sometimes not in the first conversation, you want to bring it to the gospel. I don't have a big strategy for us, but this is what I think is the strategy from Acts chapter 2. And this is, I think, the strategy for us. Because we might like, okay, what's initiative? We're going to start what program? What, what evangelist? I think this is the plan. The biggest, best plan is this. That I get up every morning and ask the Holy Spirit to fill me, and then I just look for opportunities to tell people about Jesus. And you get up every morning and you ask the Holy Spirit to fill you with His presence, and you look for people to tell about Jesus. That's it. I think that's the plan in Acts, and I think that's the plan God has for us. There's no more efficient or effective plan than that. But it begins with prayer. It definitely begins with prayer. The harvest is out there. The Spirit of God wants to press us out there. Church is definitely not just here. Ministry is definitely not just here. It's out there. Let's be ready to go out there. But it begins with prayer. 
We talk to God about somebody before we talk to somebody about God. So I want to just, as we close in prayer, maybe someone is coming to your mind. Maybe someone that you know, you love, they're far from Christ, they have no interest in Christ, they, they, they have rejected Christ, but they're on your heart and you want to see them. Maybe they're a, a son or a daughter or a spouse or a friend and you want to see them come to know Jesus. for them. Maybe it's not someone who's not a believer, but a believer who's walked away. It's a lost sheep who's left the 99, left the fold, and they're out there. I've shared this before. There seem to be so many in that realm right now. I'm tired of people walking away from the Lord. I want the Spirit of God to begin to draw people to the Lord. And that would include those who have strayed. God can send us, but first we need to pray for them. I was praying for a bunch of names the other day, and I don't know, it was probably eight, nine names that came to my mind of people that once professed faith in Christ and have walked away or is having a crisis of faith. You know names too. Let's pray that God will draw them back, find them, and maybe use us to do that. Let's pray that God will use us in the harvest field. Amen? Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's pray together right now. So Lord, all of this just cries out how much we need You. Holy Spirit, we need you to fill us and empower us, Lord. Lord, we know that even if we are bold in telling people about Jesus, that apart from your Spirit moving, it will not save them. We need you, God. We pray that, God, you would send us to the harvest fields with a fresh eye to see and a fresh ear to listen. Lord, I pray you give us a heart for the lost that loves those who don't know Jesus, even if they're hard to be around or hard to love. Lord, we're hard to love too. But God, I pray that you would give us a heart for those who don't know Jesus and help us to open our mouths and begin to build bridges and begin to share with them. And Holy Spirit, we're calling upon you to empower that, to awaken faith, to open eyes, to resurrect dead hearts, to draw people to faith in Christ, Lord, to bring new birth into this into the kingdom, Lord. We can't do any of that. You can do it all, but you want to use us and we're asking you to fill us with your power to go into the harvest, to preach Jesus, to love people and to see your work in their lives. And Lord, this is not for the evangelist among us. It's for all of us, God, all of us. May we all have this burden on our heart and may you help us to walk this thing out and help us together to begin to see the fruit of praying and stepping out. God, we ask you, Lord, we pray for the lost sheep of Israel, for those that are on the mountains alone and isolated, those who have wandered far away, those who once professed Christ, maybe worshiped in this very room, and now say they don't believe in Jesus. And Father, we're asking you to do a powerful work of ingathering, Lord, ingathering the harvest, drawing them back, gathering those sheep back, going after the one 
leaving the 99. Lord, help us to know our part as well in that. Sometimes we don't know what words to say. We don't want to over say it. We don't want to come on too strong, but we don't want to ignore it either. God, give us the words to say, but more than anything, empower us to speak words of life and empower their hearts to receive the word of life and draw them back, God. Doesn't have to be back to this church, back to the kingdom, God. Back to your fold. Lord, we ask it. Lord, we ask you to begin to turn the tides so less are leaving and more are coming, Lord. We ask you for ingathering, not outputting, God. We ask you to gather the harvest. And Lord, we want to be a part of that. So help us, empower us, give us faith, give us eyes, give us ears, give us a mouth, give us a heart for the lost. We ask all this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Okay, so we are uh, going to, we have a barbecue, but I, I want to just say this, as you begin to take this and God begins to stir in your heart, I believe the Lord's going to begin to answer these prayers and begin to help us to see steps. And I want to just say, you know, testimonies are a way we can encourage each other. So if you see a prayer answered, you see someone beginning to come back to Christ, someone who does come to Christ you see prayers answered in this. You don't have to mention names, but let us know. Send an email. Let us know somehow so we can encourage each other and share these testimonies. I believe God wants to bring a holy momentum to this for us. It has been a weakness in my life. I want to see that change. Your testimony can help encourage me. My testimony can help encourage you. Let's go for that together, okay? Don't keep it to yourself. Even if it's just a partial answer, share it so we can also be praying into that. Again, you don't have to mention names. We don't want to embarrass anybody or isolate anybody. Okay. All right. How do we transition? Uh, we're going to have a barbecue happening out there, a lot of great food. Hope you can stick around. We have a ton of food. So please stick around and eat several hamburgers and several hot dogs and other food. So good. We'll see you. If, if you have to go, God bless and have a super week. <laughs>